In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. This podcast is supported by Oasis, a paychecks company. Oasis helps small and medium-sized businesses to simplify back-office complexities like payroll, benefits, HR, and compliance. With Oasis, you can continue to run your business fearlessly. Learn more at oasisadvantage.com slash podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the podcast Southern Fried Soccer. I'm here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium where Atlanta United has defeated Montreal uh, 4-1. to as always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, and I'm joined, as always, by Jason Longshore of 92.9 and SoccerDownHere.com. Say hi, Jason. Hola. All right, let's do some housekeeping first. Uh, Montreal uh, opened the scoring uh, in the 13th minute uh, off a goal by Tater. Whose name I'm likely mispronouncing. Tater. Uh, a headed goal. He got in between. Uh, Leandro Gonzalez-Perez and Julian Gressel and behind Darlington Nagby. Uh, Atlanta United came back and tied it up in the 70th minute on a penalty kick by Miguel Amaral. And then we entered Kratz country, uh, <laughs> as his teammates call it. Uh, Kevin Kratz, from about 20 yards, uh, whipped a free kick into the goal in the 78th minute. Miguel Amaral scored again off like an 18-yard toe poke, I'm calling it. Uh, it was just kind of a loose ball, a Knocked down by Martinez that Almiron tapped in past an on-rushing goalkeeper that had just enough rotation to get into the net. Yeah, Bush was kind of lost on that one. Yeah, he did not have a very good – well, he had a good game, but not a good game. He had a very Uh, all-over-the-place game. Yeah. Uh, And then Kratz in the 94th minute or 90-plus-4 in soccer parlance with a 25-yard free kick. This time – Oh, no, that one was longer than that. I think uh, it was 35. 35? Yeah, because it was a good 10 plus well, yards I gotta fix away my story. from the top of the arc. I got to fix my story. Yeah, we were just taking okay. a look at it. Uh, and Bush didn't even move on um, that one. <laughs> that one was ridiculous. It was in the goal, and off we went. Kratz was walking off like uh, Tiger Woods after a putt. Yeah. Julian Gressel said he raised his arms as soon as uh, Kratz hit both because he knew they were going in. He could just see it happening. So now Kratz has scored three goals in his MLS career. All on free kicks. He is three of four on free kick shots for Atlanta United. Yeah, I think the other one was into the wall, if I remember right. Um, so now Atlanta United is unbeaten in seven with six wins um, as it continues to put pressure on NYCFC uh, for first place in the East. Uh, it goes to Chicago uh, next Saturday night uh, for its next game. Uh, which is the first in a very tough three-game stretch all in one week. Uh, Orlando, uh, I'm sorry, Chicago on Saturday, Sporting KC here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Wednesday, Orlando on Sunday. Um, This was an odd game. It was a very frustrating game, I felt, for Atlanta United because Montreal got that goal. It was already, the impact were already bunkering in for the most part. 
But then they got that goal off that miscommunication between Gonzalez Perez and Nagby. That's not me saying that. That's Gonzalez Perez telling me that. Um, and then they really bunkered in. 10 to 11 guys behind the ball. They still almost got another goal on a counterattack. But you could kind of sense Atlanta United had patience. They continued to move east-west a lot of times. But you could sense there was a little bit of frustration and just some of the chippiness that was going on on the field. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Chris Duvall, I think, was lucky to be on the field at the end. Uh, two hip checks of Greg Garza in the first half off the ball. Then he had the handball that led to the penalty. Had another incident um, in front of the Atlanta United bench where he shoved Greg Garza after a foul that earned Garza yellow. Uh, just a odd match from, from the Montreal perspective. They came into this complaining about officiating and felt like they've been hard done by penalties called against them and red cards given to them. Today, I mean, there was really not much to complain about. Now, I thought that Duvall had already gotten a yellow card, so I thought the handball was his second yellow and he was off. He should have. But, he was warned multiple times and yeah. never saw the first yellow. Uh, you know, he I don't know, maybe he has a chip on his shoulder because Atlanta United passed on him in the expansion draft. He's an Atlanta native. I do not know, but he, he was very aggressive today. Yeah, that's Montreal. I mean, when you start to dig through the numbers, defensively, they are very, very aggressive. Lots of tackles, lots of fouls committed. When you play that way, you're going to pick up lots of cards, and that was just how it goes. But Montreal came in, like you said, 4-5-1, very defensive. Vargas and Silva were, were dropped deep into midfield from the start. It was basically, we'll pick our spots and, and try to get forward via Piatti when we can, and other than that, we're just going to bunker and sit. And I think that combined with an early start, Atlanta United was just a little slower than normal getting out of the blocks. Not poor, just a little bit slower than you'd like. The, the switching the point of attack just took a little bit longer than it should. You know, crosses took an extra step to get in. I think the team kind of settled for crosses a little bit too much in the early going. Yeah. But the second half, and, and it started with the sub at the break with Tito Vishalba coming in to play the whole second half. I don't know if that was the plan coming in. I doubt it. No. I think it was probably 30 to 20 minutes for him. Yeah. Now, Martino said um, he took – it was tactical. He took Ronowitz yeah. off and, and Vialba on uh, to try to cre- get that second striker – up there and create a little more chaos in the back of the It definitely did that. It created chaos both ways. And and I'll give Martino a ton of credit here because this went against his usual yeah, MO. I, I cannot remember, other than the U.S. Open Cup, the last time he's made a halftime substitution. It's very rare. And then he opened things up in a big way by playing Darlington Nagby as the six for Jeff Lorenowitz. It's not Nagby's general role. And you went to a central midfield with Nagby, Almiron and Barco behind Vishalba and Martinez, that is absolutely going all in at the poker table. And Montreal had chances. Yeah, I'm actually surprised Montreal and Remy Gard didn't see that, hey, we can kill this off if we get a goal here and bring on an Oduro earlier than they did. But Atlanta was the one who had the breakthrough. And then I love that Martino immediately brought Kratz on after you get it equalized because that brought the balance back in the midfield. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't often see a manager admit what may be considered an error. I mean, he had to go for the win. He, he had, had to. to put Viaba on and take Lernowitz off. And he did it early. But, then, I love but it. he said he put Kratz on not because they got the second goal, but because he had gotten a little 
tired, I guess, for lack of a better word, seeing Montreal counterattacks. Mm-hmm. So he wanted Kratz back on to reorganize the midfield. Yeah. And boom, four minutes after he's on, the first free kick goes in. It, it was it was a perfect, perfectly managed match in terms of substitutions from Tata Martino. I mean, he handled things absolutely right. I love that he didn't do the general thing where you wait until the 60th or 70th minute yeah. to go for it. Yeah. He went for it at the second half opening whistle. And then when he got the equalizer, then you could really tighten it up just a little bit and bring on a Kratz to play the six. And then he made another move when he brought on Franco Escobar to go to the 4-2-3-1 and get Barco out on the left and Vishalba out on the right. That gave you even more balance. Yeah, uh, that's something we another talking point for us. Uh, this was the first time that Atlanta United had a full-strength 18. Uh, Carlton didn't play because I assume he's with the twos. He is. This weekend. Uh, or wasn't in the 18. Uh, but you had, for the first time, Barco, who missed the first five games because of his quad strain. Viaba, who missed the last two games because of his hamstring strain. And Escobar, who missed the past four games because of a concussion. All in the 18. Um, you know, not next week at Chicago, but probably... Maybe not even Sporting Kate. Well, maybe against Chicago. You're probably going to see a different starting lineup than you've seen the past two games. I would expect. Coming back home, Sporting KC, to see a full-strength 18 again, depending upon those two results, I think will dictate what happens at Orlando the following Sunday. Yeah, Chicago's kind of the wild card here because they've been throwing so many different formations and groupings at the wall. Basically, Bastion Schweinsteiger's played every position but goalkeeper this season. Uh, Kansas City, you know they're going to play the 4-3-3. That's their identity. That's what they're going to come in and play. Orlando will likely be in a 4-2-3-1, although Jason Kreiss has shown you know, some interest in keeping with a, a variation of a 4-4-2 with Stefano Pino and Dom Dwyer pairing. You know, if, if you're looking at a team that's going to play two up top, the three-man back line works really well because you have marker, marker, and one person free. That's very comfortable. If you're looking at a team that's going to play one up top, you generally like to have two center backs right. because then it's not redundant. And that was kind of how it went you know, through this match at times where it was three center backs with Piatti up there. And that's why you saw McCann and Gonzalez Perez start to venture forward more. Uh, one more talking point before uh, we wrap this one up. Um, spoke with Darren Eels before the game, Atlanta United President Darren Eels, who told me again, as I keep telling y'all, and I need y'all to listen, that they have received no offers for Miguel Almiron. Um, he wouldn't say this, but I believe this based upon everything that they've said and how they've put this together. He is not going to be sold this summer. It's just not going to happen. They are in the running for the supporter Shield. They are in the running for a top seed in the East. They are in the running right now as a favorite for the MLS Cup. There is no way... You do all that only then to sell your best player in the summer. It's just not going to happen. I would be very, very surprised if it happens. And then I think it starts to create a domino effect that you have to consider. Because if you don't sell him in the summer, and it's a World Cup year. If Paraguay was going to the World Cup and Almiron showed out for Paraguay, I think we might be having a different conversation because things could happen differently. Um, you never know. If an offer does come in in the summer window that is that you have to take it, things could change. But if you don't sell him this summer, 
and you win MLS Cup or Open Cup or you get into CONCACAF via the combined record and then you're going into your first CONCACAF Champions League, I think the bar is set even higher for that offer for Almiron next winter because you're going to want to have him for your CONCACAF Champions League run. It's, I think the bar would be higher if you're yeah. in CONCACAF. You're not going to sell him for 15. You're going to have to get a 20 to 25 type of offer. Yeah, I don't, you know, the CONCACAF Champions League is entertaining. I don't think that that's going to dictate. I don't think the club thinks that way, though. Uh, whether they sell Almiron or not. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I don't, I don't think, think he's going to go this summer. If he's sold, I think it will be in the winter transfer window between MLS seasons. Um, I asked Almiron after the game about the quote from his father about interest from Europe, and Almiron said, I have no idea of any interest from teams in Europe. Yeah, Almiron's dad said some stuff on Paraguayan radio. Almiron's agent said some stuff as well about reportedly making a trip to England, and there's a lot of interest. Um, you know, the truth could be somewhere in the middle. Could the agent be talking to clubs and, and gauging interest? Sure. That's his job. That doesn't mean an <laughs> offer has been made. Right. So, you know, and, Darren Eels could be completely honest in the situation. The agent could be honest as well and that there's interest and just right. an offer hasn't been made yet. I just – I don't put a lot of stock in what parents say. No. Uh, because if you'll remember last year, Jamil Assad's dad said he had re-signed with Atlanta United. That's true. Uh, and that obviously didn't happen. Um so the truth could be somewhere out there, but with the facts I have, Darren Neal said no official offers for Almiron. Almiron says no idea of any interest from clubs in Europe. So I think y'all can rest easy until the end of the MLS season, and then you can freak out again. I would be surprised, <laughs> and if he does go in the summer, I think it's an offer that would be that mind-blowing kind of offer that you kind of have to take. Because when you think big, big picture here, the eventual sale of Miguel Almiron is a huge step for the progression of MLS, not even just Atlanta United, because that's the first giant transfer out, and it sets a market. Yeah, I wrote a column about that last year. That it is a, it is arguably as historic as David Beckham coming to major. It's, it's in that ballpark, and I, I would put the Barco purchase in that ballpark too, because the Almiron purchase was big. A year later, you double it almost for the the Barco right. purchase, and you go even younger. So you've established that you're going to spend money on bringing players in, but the idea from Atlanta's perspective has been to bring young players in continue their development on, showcase them, and then move them on and go get the next one. So the Almiron sale sets the market, where we've always heard, oh, it's hard to sell American players. Well, Almiron, one, isn't an American player, but he's coming here in MLS. And to sell MLS players for big money, that puts MLS front of mind. And it's not just Atlanta who's going to benefit. It's other clubs who are looking to go get South American young talent like Josue Colman in Orlando, Jesus Medina in NYC, and so on and so forth. They're going to want to make a sale later too. The Almiron deal sets the market. So there is pressure to get it done when the time comes. I don't know when that perfect time is going to come for Atlanta United. And I think it's, it's a, a process that could take lots of twists and turns before it's over. Yep. We are going to wrap this up because I have a house to move into. Uh, Jason, what do you have? 
Uh, we'll be back on Soccer Down here Monday, 9 a.m. We're 9 to 11 every weekday morning, Monday to Friday. It's blogtalkradio.com slash soccer down here. If you want to listen to it live, you can also catch it on demand there or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Your general podcast catchers will have it. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. I have posted a short game story on AJC.com, a much longer with lots of quotes from Kevin Kratz and Miguel Almiron and Julian Gressel and Gerardo Martino on MyAJC.com. I posted the man of the match, Kevin Kratz, on AJC.com. I'm going to post this on AJC.com as well as by the numbers, and then I'm going to take off. Um, again, Atlanta United, 4-1 to winners over the Montreal Impact. The five stripes are unbeaten in seven, winners of six of those seven, and will play at Chicago next Saturday. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Southern Fried Soccer. This podcast is supported by Oasis, a paychecks company. Oasis helps small and medium-sized businesses to simplify back-office complexities like payroll, benefits, HR, and compliance. With Oasis, you can continue to run your business fearlessly. Learn more at oasisadvantage.com slash podcast.